In here, we are discussing what is really a very dangerous undertaking, how to help people change. Most people are very suspicious of us if we enter their lives with the intent of changing them, for most reformers have a certain air of superiority. They think they know how their children or their employees need to shape up, and in almost every instance, people resist such reformers. The other extreme is to profess no aspirations to change people and to talk in very pious language about accepting everybody. Many psychotherapists, for instance, say that they have no desire to reform their patients and claim to stay non-judgmental, non-directive, and permissive in their approach to clients. Yet, that also is unrealistic. When such therapists talk shop with other professionals, it is obvious that they have very strong opinions about how their patients need to change. They are angry about the man who won't stop drinking, the woman who is abusive with her children, the husband who is playing mind games on his wife. Influencing without intimidating Most of us do want to change such people, but how can we motivate them to change without manipulating or bullying them? How can one be a helping, inspiring leader and still leave people free? These are not easy questions, and we will be returning to them in several other contexts. But for now, let me offer a simple model that comes out of my practice of psychotherapy. If I tried to decide how each new patient needed to change in order to be happy, I would be inviting a psychotic break of my own, for that would be playing God. Rather, my goals are much more modest. I see myself primarily as a clarifier, and when patients enter treatment, they must assume a lot of responsibility for their therapy. So in our early sessions, I ask questions such as these. How would you like to change? What would it take to make you happy? In what ways do you want to motivate your behavior? In other words, I'm asking them to set the goals for our work together. Then, when I understand their aims, I'll do everything possible to help them reach those goals. A patient might, I suppose, present objectives with which I could not in good conscience cooperate. But that has never happened. People often need our help in probing their inner needs and determining what they really want in life. But once they begin to articulate their goals, they are often quite similar to the ones I would have suggested. So, I'm glad I remained silent, and now we're on a different footing together. I'm not there as a reformer, but as one helping them in their own plan of self-improvement. I've joined their bandwagon. Managers and teachers, of course, are less free to let people set their own objectives than the psychotherapist. There are machines to build, calls to make, or things to learn, and if our employees and students have other goals, our first response is to tell them they'll have to subordinate them. But when you are tempted to give such a knee-jerk response, Remember a technique used by Paul Bear Bryant, the coach who won 323 college football games, more than anyone in history. Perhaps there is no field, except the military, where one is asked to subordinate personal goals more completely than in football. 
there, the coach supposedly has clear-cut objectives and the task of the team is to fall in line. But at the beginning of each season at Alabama, Bryant had every member of his squad write out personal goals for the year and only after reading those did Bryant design a set of objectives for the team. When he asked their goals, he was conveying at least a threefold message. I care about you and what you want. You should be thinking ahead. And we are building a team in which we are hoping everyone can pursue their goals. And I'm going to incorporate into our general plan as many ways as possible for you to reach yours. One reason some parents are at constant loggerheads with their sons and daughters is that the children's goals and the parents' goals seem so different. This will always be a part of the parent-child deadlock, but some parents compound the problem by failing to do what Bryant did. They do not even inquire into their child's current dreams. If they were to ask, they might discover some bandwagons they could gladly help push. Can parents really do much to encourage self-reliance? Yes, they can, says Ruth Stafford Peel. The secret is this. Watch to see where a child's innate skills or talents lie. Then gently lead or coax him or her in those areas. It may be difficult for a father who was a crack athlete to understand a son who would rather play chess than football. But chess... Not football is what such a boy needs if confidence is to grow in him. If he does one thing well, he will come to believe that he can do other things well. I'm eager not to be misunderstood at this point. I'm not saying that we should be weak leaders who allow others to set the goals for a group, with the result that the organization lurches about ineffectively. People want strong leaders with clear objectives. Bryant is a good illustration of this kind of leader. But the best coaches and best managers also encourage personal goals and do everything possible to help their people get where they want to go.